dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the billboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight Hey everybody, welcome back to another new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? Good, how are you, Zach? I'm pretty good, all things considered. The world is burning down yet again. <laughs> Happy Joe Biden Day. Yes, thank you, you as well. Thank you. I would worry about us being partisan, but you know what? After what happened yesterday, I don't care anymore. Also, I think the jig is up. I think the listeners know which way we sway. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, for some context for anybody who's listening to this like four years later, uh, yesterday was the day that domestic terrorists broke into the Capitol in an attempt to keep Donald Trump as president. Uh, maybe I won't say any more about that, except what a shit show and what a disgrace. Oof. Yeah. But it was rough. Yeah. So um, this is, as I mentioned before we started, this is going to be a nice balm for me because I've spent the last 24 hours doom scrolling and getting into <laughs> social media fights. And it'll be nice to just not do that for, you know, a couple hours here. You know, hilariously, I have been I have been off of social media and the news entirely. And so somebody actually texted me yesterday afternoon. I was like, do you know what's going on? And I was like, Georgia? I was <laughs> like, the Dems won Georgia? And she was like, no, Meryl, no. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> so um, I came into it late yesterday and then I did keep up with the news after that because it was obviously very touch and go, but I did not get on social media. I stayed far, far away. You're smarter than I am. I was more active yesterday than I've been in decades. I talked to people yesterday I haven't seen <laughs> since high school. I was alerted to it as well by some folks who I have like kind of political text threads with and, you know, just this, can you believe what's happening? And I, I went out and I turned on the TV and then I had to teach lessons online. And I have to say walking away from that, like what was a full-blown coup attempt to teach so difficult like I wanted to talk to the parents and be like look we're witnessing history right now and I don't want to walk away from that but I just I figured it was probably better for my anxiety to just like teach kids during this time too and so I decided yeah I'm gonna teach I'm not gonna cancel on these kids and uh it was kind of nice because they didn't even know what was happening you know like they were nine years old and 11 yeah. years old just didn't even they had no concept of what was happening they hadn't even heard and um so I don't know. It was kind of nice in a way, but I spent the rest of the day just obsessively watching and scrolling and oof, so upsetting, yeah. so deeply upsetting. Do you know what's, <laughs> you know what brought me comfort oddly was an episode of The Crown. Really? What season are we in? Is it season four? Four. Season yeah. four. Charles Dant plays Montbatten and they ask him, they ask him to essentially lead a coup <laughs> against the prime minister. And he outlines what it actually takes to accomplish a successful coup, right? And it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you have to have the military, you have to have political backing, you also have to have support of the people. You need many, many pieces to come together. And that's all I could keep thinking of when I was watching that yesterday. And I was like, oh yeah, we're, we're gonna be okay. This is okay. This is okay. 
yeah, what happened yesterday was a couple thousand pasty crybabies getting together. It wasn't a well-organized anything. It was just, you know, a really pathetic display of uh, white supremacy and desperation clinging to its last breath, you know? Yeah. That's a nice segue to obviously you've been watching The Crown. What else have you been watching? Oh, what have I been watching? Okay, so I, of course, binged watch Bridgerton when it came out because go Shondaland and Netflix. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, actually get the Shonda production. Yeah. I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, Chris Van Dusen, who did Scandal, is a showrunner. Okay. And it was, glo- listen, she, I was dead curious because she purchased the rights to what are essentially very white Regency England romances. They're, they're romance novels set in Regency England. It's a very, it's a very popular genre in romance. And so I was really curious to see what Shonda was going to do with it because obviously just by itself, it wasn't quite in her wheelhouse. Hmm. Oh man, they up, I mean, they did a great job. The, the cast is so diverse. And the minute you step into the world, you do not say, oh, this isn't realistic. Nobody gives a shit. It looks <laughs> fabulous, right? It just feels right. Everything about it feels right. They did a great job. Cool. Um, updating it and making it relevant and still totally fluffy and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, nice. I enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. Anything anything else that you've been watching? Oh, I watched, believe it or not, I watched Alien for the first time ever. Ooh. Nice. I have never seen Alien. And my my nephew came in with a drawing that was the alien from Alien. And I recognized it because obviously I haven't been living in a hole. I, I know I know the most famous scenes from Alien. Sure. I know it's cultural relevance. I've just never watched it from beginning to end. So I was like, have you seen? I asked him, I was like, have you seen this movie? He said, no, what movie? <laughs> so we, we watched it uh, day before yesterday. It is good. Yeah, it holds <laughs> I mean, up. It's not really yeah. shocking. It holds up. Yeah. It holds up. And I was, listen, I got to tell you, I was pretty impressed. So it's what... I think there's seven crew members, Uh, seven crew members. There's two women, one black man, and the other are four white men. And I tell you, the last people standing are the two women and the black man. And I thought, what year was this, Meg? What? I was like, way to go, Ridley Scott. Way to go. Yeah, you know, and between that and Thelma and Louise, yeah, he's really, you know, he's done some good stuff for women for sure. Yeah, and um, I regret not having watched it earlier because um, Sigourney Weaver was the role model I never had. Uh-huh. Right? I, I wish I had watched that much younger because she is such a badass in it. Well, and there, are, I know how um, enamored you are with the most recent Mad Max, and there are so many similarities. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the minute I started looking at the franchise, I was like, oh my gosh, she's Charlize Theron before Charlize Theron. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought. It was great. Yeah. 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 And I've always gonna... loved her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. Too. Are you going to continue uh, going through? Definitely. Nice. Definitely. I'll keep you all posted. But those those are my two big watches. I've been revisiting Poldark while I 
do school stuff and bar application stuff, sort of having it on in the background, which is fun. That show is a special place in my heart. But other than that, <laughs> what have you been watching? Um, I too have been trying to catch up on the crown. I'm a couple episodes into season three right now. I'm a little behind, but getting my first taste of Olivia Coleman and the rest of the new cast, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, linked to today's movie. I like it very much. It, it didn't take as, you know, I think I mentioned that I started the show and got five or six episodes into the first season and just kind of gave up on it. Not because I wasn't digging it, but I just wasn't fully able to get invested in Boy, I don't know why that was, because it's actually quite easy to get invested in the show, you know, it's very good. So it was, it was cool to see kind of the end of the Claire Foy uh, years. She was really great. And then I watched the entirety of the, uh, the flight attendant, that miniseries. Yes, that's what I watched too. Did you watch the whole thing? I did. What did you think? You know what, overall, I loved it. I did too, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was quirky as hell. I thought I thought it was unique. It's been renewed for season two. I'm really excited about that. I I think it I think it captured I think it captured addiction quite well. Yeah, I think so too. Which is funny because like when it started, I don't think I've ever seen. I actually don't even know how to say her last name, Kaylee Cuoco. Cuoco. I've never watched The Big Bang Theory in my life. Like I don't think I've ever seen her in anything before. I of course am familiar with who she is but I, I just don't think I've ever seen anything that she's been in. And, um, you know, I, this is almost not appropriate to say, but like, you know, I was like, oh, okay, this is like an addiction thing, but she's too like, kind of like pretty and clean. You know what I mean? Like she's a little too like put together. Am I going to buy this woman as this like really struggling addict and uh, alcoholic anyway, not, not so much a drug addict, but alcoholic for sure. And, you know, but, you know what? I think in her own way, she really pulled it off. I think she did too. I think she did a great job. I also do not watch The Big Bang Theory. I have seen episodes. I have disliked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I just, it's not really on my radar. And I know she's now into executive producing, which I love. She, she I think she, she did, she executive produced Harley Quinn and then this. Mm-hmm. And I just... I just love that she's getting, making content for herself because she's extraordinarily, I was very impressed with her as an actress. I was rooting for her. She was compelling. She broke my heart. She did all of the things. I thought she was fantastic. And I, um, I'm, I'm excited for her branching out of the big bang theory. I, I didn't, having not seen her, but being aware of like, you know, what a kind of megastar she is, at least on the TV landscape, it wasn't a surprise to me that she was able to pull off the like ability thing. It was that she actually had some legit acting chops that was, I don't mean any offense to her. It's not that I didn't think she was capable of it. I just, you know, had never really seen anything that made me go, oh, she's, she must be a really good actress, but I don't know. I thought it was, like you say, it was very interesting. It was very quirky is a good word for it. It's rare that there's a show where like, I mean, mild spoiler alert, not even really spoiler because it's kind of throughout the whole thing where like basically one of the two leads is dead and talking to you. Like, <laughs> I'm, you know, like that's kind of hard to pull off and, and still keep that air of like believability and realism kind of hanging in there. Um, and I thought they like, it was just kind of a, it's almost an old fashioned approach to telling a story like I feel like they kind of stopped doing that kind of storytelling where like a dead person was one of the protagonists um 
I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. it, I, it was just kind of, it was a great show in the sense that it, you wanted to watch the next episode as soon as this one was done, you know? Yeah. So you said it has been renewed for a second season. Is it the same people Is you know, is she coming back or are they all coming back or is it a new story? I don't know how many people are coming back. It will follow Cassie, but okay. they set that up a little bit. Like it's clear the CIA is going to reach out to her to be a human asset. Yeah. Um, Rosie Perez is on the run. <laughs> so there are definitely some elements that got left open. Yeah, I also really liked Rosie Perez in this. Oh, she was great. She, she was great. T.R. Knight was great. The the actress who played Miranda, the, the assassin, yeah. I think stole the show. Yeah, she was great. And I love seeing I think she's I think she's maybe 64. Wow. And I and I love that she's like, you know, sort of an action-packed assassin. And there's like no question about it. like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> She was very authoritative and uh, engaging as an actress, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love. I I loved everything. Uh, Michael Michael Hoisman plays the 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 dead one night stand and is lovely. Yeah, I've always liked his work. Yeah. 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 Um, so that I would give a hearty recommendation to that's on HBO Max. I did watch, I think, the first two, maybe three episodes of Your Honor, which is the new Brian Cranston series have you seen any of that i saw the first two episodes i haven't continued and it's just sort of like the crown for you i loved it and i just have not haven't gotten back to it yet it, brian brian cranston is incredibly good at this kind of role you know mm. the, the good guy who gets on the wrong path it's very breaking bad right it's incredibly stressful <laughs> so i haven't i haven't gone back to it yet my my, my cortisol levels can't take it yeah, I love it though. It's I, so I, good. I can't wait to watch more of it. Yeah, it is stressful. It is stressful. Um, and it's, you know, like so sad and so mm -hmm. real. And so, you know, yeah. yeah there, there are elements of it that are, you know, like a commentary on a lot of what's happening in the world right now. And, uh, you know, that's great. And I think they're doing it in a way that uh, is shining a light, but at the same time telling a really engaging story. And that's awesome yeah. too. So, Way to watch more exactly. of that. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's see. Uh, we each have a piece of Merrill news here. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Um, you go first. So Merrill is up for a Grammy, which is a strange sentence, but it's actually her sixth nomination. I actually think this has been out there for a while. Uh, I think we just missed this. So she's up for a Grammy for narrating uh, the book Charlotte's Web, its best audio, its best spoken word album. So the five nominees, uh, she's up for Charlotte's Web. Uh, Alex Trebek's book, The Answer Is, which is narrated by Ken Jennings, who of course is that guy who, you know, had that unbelievable streak on Jeopardy. Uh, Catch and Kill, which is both uh, written by and read by Ronan Farrow. That's a big deal book. Uh, Rachel Maddow's book, Blowout, and then uh, Acid for the Children, a memoir by Flea, uh, the, the rock and roller Flea. So um, going on Gold Derby, which is that same website that I use to uh, go through all of every possible uh, Academy Award possibility last time, it looks like most people in this category believe Alex Trebek's book is going to win and Meryl will probably not be picking up a Grammy. But I guess the interesting thing here is, again, it's her sixth nomination. She, she definitely does some audio books every couple of years, it seems like. So it seems, 
you know, possible, if not likely that at some point she may win a Grammy and uh, that would bring her one step closer to an EGOT. The only thing missing in that case is the Tony. Which is shocking, to be honest. Right. Although I don't think she's ever, I don't think she's ever gone back to the New York stage and committed to eight shows a week. Right. Yeah, I think the closest have been a couple incidents with Shakespeare in the Park. She did the seagull. And she did that, uh, Tony Kushner won. Um, Mother Courage. Mother Courage, yeah. yeah. So there have been a couple of those, but like you say, those were summer kind of short run things. I've actually often wondered if there wouldn't be something that would bring her back to the New York stage. At this point, it seems like there's gotta be something. What What's I'm the holdout? I'm actually yeah. surprised she hasn't done like a 16 week stint. Right. You know, for roundabout or or something. I Yeah, that surprises me. Because she seems like an avid theater goer. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think she's an avid theater lover. Like, I think she, yeah. I think she truly loves theater. It's definitely her roots. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. I think I would love if she did. Yeah. But now who knows when, <laughs> yeah, when we're I mean, actually going to be back and what the model will look like. Right. COVID, COVID notwithstanding, um, you know, like even if we take that off the table, although, you know, it seems inevitable that at some point it will go back. Um, I've said this to you several times. If she ever does, we are going. I am coming and we are going. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. Probably more than once. You know, yeah. I don't yeah. care how expensive those <laughs> tickets are. <laughs> Where's my credit card? <laughs> Th- those are not, those are probably not, uh, easy rush tickets to get, I would imagine, if she finally came yeah. back. But no. although, yeah. you know what, every, you know, I mean, I guess it's not the same thing because it really would have been like 40 years. You know, there are other shows, it depends. You know, like it was super easy to get uh, rush tickets to see Denzel Washington and Iceman Comet. It's, it was super easy to get tickets to see Francis McDormand and uh, Morgan Freeman in whatever play I saw them in a couple of years ago, you know, yeah. like, it, it, you never know. Anyway, so she may win a Grammy. And, you know, the other thing with the Tony, she wouldn't necessarily have to be in a play. She could produce a play, which leads us to your news. Ta-da. So um, Meryl Streep is going to be executive producing, along with Rashida Jones and Laverne Cox, a uh, documentary called Sell By Date, which is based on a one-woman show by Sarah Jones, um, and she's a Tony winner. And so it has its roots in theater, and it really deals with um, the sex industry and whether or not it's exploitative, which is, you know, timely, especially right now during the pandemic. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's going to be really interesting. So you guys should look it up and check it out. Yeah, this is not the first Rashida Jones produced project. She did something else, I think, for Netflix or some other. It's it was basically telling the story of like what porn stars do after, you know, they reach a certain age and are no longer, you know, are basically invaluable. Yeah. There, There's a there's something there that keeps bringing her back to these projects. Although yeah. I know because Sarah Jones is the bridge and tunnel lady, right? That play. Yeah. Yes, bridge and tunnel. Yeah, it's a one-woman show she did back in 2004. And I remember, actually, that Meryl, I think Meryl helped produce that, if I'm not mistaken, because she came to see it, like, when it was off-Broadway and, you know, just fell in love with it, fell in love with Sarah Jones's performance. And I think she helped uh, transfer it to Broadway, if I remember correctly. Right. And that's what won her the Tony Award. 
Cool. Yeah. So I could be wrong about that. I just remember there was a connection between Sarah Jones and Merrill. Let's see. It won a it won a special Tony Award, but that doesn't. Um, it was to... produced by Meryl Streep off Broadway. Off Broadway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. She must not. She obviously didn't produce it on Broadway. Okay. Yeah. Okay. At least I don't think she did. Yeah. Otherwise, maybe she would have that Tony, that elusive right. Tony. Yeah. Does it count if you won it for producing and not for performing? For like in terms of the EGOT? Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, it, there were actually even a couple people, a couple people who have won their Tonys that way. I think John Legend, I think that's how he got his Tony. Okay, that makes sense. I yeah. mean, it should count. Yeah, yeah. And there are other, you know, like there are some qualifications. Like I think Whoopi Goldberg's Emmy, you know, the E part of EGOT for Whoopi is from a daytime Emmy from hosting the view, I think. Not for, you know, like her performance in a show or, well, I mean, you know right. what I mean, like a show. Right. Anyway, well, should we talk about this movie? Yeah, let's do it. We are here to talk today about Suffragette. Interesting film in which Meryl Streep is in one four-minute scene. This may be our fastest episode ever. It may be. It, it may be. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, well, here, let's start with the synopsis. If you, oh, if good you idea. Suffragette is set in 1912 London where and you're focused on a small group of women who work at largely work at a laundry uh, facility and are fighting for suffrage hence suffragette uh it centers around carrie mulligan who is a fictional uh fictional woman who works in this factory she's married to ben wishaw they have a son she is sort of unwittingly dragged into the suffragist movement and um, has her eyes opened to women fighting for the vote and continues to fight on. And it also stars Helena Bonham Carter, who is the wife of a pharmacist who um, is highly educated and has helped leading the movement. Meryl Streep plays Emmeline um, who yeah. leads the suffragist movement in the UK. She's wanted by the police, but she comes out of hiding to give a speech to the crowd. And this is our one four minute Meryl scene. So um, it sort of ends with Emily Davidson, who was an, an actual real life woman throwing herself in front of um, the king's horse mm -hmm. um, at, at a horse race and dying for the cause with a, a, a banner in her hand that said votes for women. And yes. then real footage of her funeral procession, which, which attracted thousands of people in London. Yeah, so I think that's the synopsis. It's a little, yeah. it's a little fractured. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's that was that was pretty good. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because on the um, on the DVD there is a lot of. I mean, there's some interesting behind the scenes stuff, and they were talking about folks who have really analyzed the the tape of em, the real Emily Davison doing that. Mm -hmm. and Kind of assessing whether or not they they the folks on the commentary believe that she was really just trying to cause a disruption that she she would of course have known it was a dangerous thing to do but there's maybe some doubt as to whether or not she was really intending to kill herself so much as uh cause right. a disturbance and make a point so um yeah it's interesting yeah who knows this was a tough watch. Yeah, that's kind of what uh, one of the things that I read 
is one of the reviews is I was looking for a one-star review, which I may not read because actually they're all just kind of masochistic and not fun at all. (laughs) And one of the more positive ones, uh, a non-one-star review was basically like, you're really either going to be angry or very sad if you watch this movie, which is not a reflection on the quality of the film. It's just, like you said, not an easy watch. It's not. It's really not. I think um, I read several reviews too. I have to agree. I read a review by Sheila O'Malley. Anyway, she reviewed for Roger Ebert and she pointed out, and I, and I have to agree with her, that by focusing on a fictional character with all of these historical events happening around, you lose a lot. Like I, I really, I got to the end of the film and I had wished I had seen a movie about Emily Davidson. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm like, what pushed this woman to step out in front of some horses? Whether she knew she was going to die or not, it's still really gutsy. Right. Um, and she knew, she certainly knew that she was potentially risking her life when she did it. And she was willing to. And I just didn't get enough time with her. And I love Carrie Mulligan. And she's great in this movie. It's no, by no means a reflection of her performance. It, it just, I don't know. Yeah. So she's a composite of what they say, several real life stories or people and just kind of meshed into one character. She's almost, but you're right, because that that character almost functions as not the lead, but a secondary character. That's like, if you do that, it's the Greek chorus thing where you're kind of like talking about a group of people instead of one person's perspective and one person's journey and one person's story. Yeah. And also, you know, that review pointed out and it is a glaring absence is that because they chose to focus on this fictionalized character, we just get this tiny, tiny sliver of the suffragist story and, and and the movement. And it's very, it's very pretty. It's like a nice little package right. of, of like what inspired them and what motivated them. And that it was actually really fractured and really racist. And there, I mean, it was so messy and we didn't really get to revel in the messiness because they didn't, I don't think they knew necessarily how to present that. Right. Nor do you really get a sense. I mean, they're certainly difficult to watch. I mean, like the scene where they force feed her for for one, you know, you get a sense of how awful it was, but I don't, maybe not as full a sense as it could have. Right. It was just, um, it almost made it feel like a momentary blip or, I mean, it was so bad. (laughs) I think one thing they did capture really well, which is easy for us to forget, I think, is men's attitudes towards women. They capture that really well. Like in the first instance, you get a lot of rhetoric from men about what would happen if women had the vote. Uh, you know, that pretty soon they'd wanna be judges and MPs and, and, and sit in parliament and, and want more and more and more and that they couldn't handle the slippery slope of that. Um, this idea that women really belonged in the home sphere, that they weren't emotionally capable of anything more than that. And they sort of, they painted that picture quite broadly. And then they did a beautiful job of narrowing it down and showing you what that was like in an actual home sphere with Ben Wishaw's character. Mm-hmm. Like what that looked like. Because he wasn't entirely unsympathetic as her husband. His point of view was awful but he 
he layered in a lot of depth, Ben Wishaw did, to the point where you sort of see he, how he's a product of his time. Oh, yeah. And I appreciate that, that he wasn't just villainized. And I, Brian Gleason did the same thing. I, he, he was quite layered and was not just like a villainous black and white style copper who was going to squash the suffragist movement. So I appreciated those, how they, how they painted those two characters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I wanted more. I wanted, I came out wanting more. Which, and, you know, to speak to that, too, I got to the end of the movie and I was like, oh, it's over already, which I guess is always a good thing in a movie. That means that it hasn't, like, overstayed, and yet it felt like the story wasn't over yet. It felt like there was more to tell. Yeah, it wasn't fully cooked. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it is a testament to the film and the filmmaker that I, I did want more. I was right. not bored. I was totally compelled. I just, I, I wanted more. It was actually quite a short film. Right. I mean, although I think it is still an hour 45. Like, I don't think yeah. it's actually a short film. I think it just feels like a short film True. somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it's an hour 46 minutes. Yeah. So um, this, uh, the director is Sarah Gavron. She hasn't made a ton of films. Uh, this is kind of probably her most high profile. She did uh, a movie called Brick Lane in 2007 and one called Rocks just a couple of years ago in 2019. And then she did an episode of Transparent, that show on Amazon a couple of years ago. But um, I think this is probably her most high profile project. So she was the director here. I'm glad it was a woman directing this movie. I'll say that much. Yeah. Uh, and the writer is Abby Morgan, who um, has worked with Meryl before. She wrote uh, The Iron Lady, and uh, she's done quite a quite a lot of stuff. Shane, which also starred Carrie Mulligan. So she has connections to both of them previously. Nice. Yeah. Oh, Shane is a good movie. Ooh. Have you ever I seen never, Shane? I don't think I have watched that one. Really good. I highly recommend it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think they captured the working conditions at the laundry quite well, too. I do, that too. Was, very visceral it was almost like the front end of the movie packed all the punches and then it kind of didn't quite get the job done yeah yeah no i agree i mean those those scenes of you know her her finally standing up for herself burning burning that guy's hand with the iron you know like really yeah i agree those those scenes in the the laundromat were just some of the best in the in the film i thought yeah I agree, especially like the close-up of their hands. You can see how chapped they are and, and yeah. their feet and how it just, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, to that end, to Carrie Mulligan, I guess, made a point of like not washing her hair for six weeks. She wore very little makeup to kind of like make it very real, um, you know, in time period kind of appropriate for who she was playing and, you know, really kind of. Yeah. I thought she was great. I mean, like she is really always great. But she's really great. I really adore her. And I'm still so excited for Promising Young Woman. I'm just waiting for it to come out on streaming. Yeah. (laughs) No, she's always good. She's always... I'm surprised because I actually, you know, she seems like somebody who had uh, been up for, like, just, you know, a lot of awards and stuff. But I'm not actually sure that that's true. I think she's only been nominated a couple times. Um, she's... She reminds me a lot of Nicole Kidman in the way she works. Like she just, she really has quite a few films out there that pass under the radar and she right. just does quality work in all of them. She is a working actress. 
yeah, she's got 36 credits, which is a lot considering how young she is. Yeah. Uh, that's that's since 2005. That's yeah, not long. In span of 15 years, she's put out, you know, 30 movies because I guess, you know, five of them are upcoming projects, but she's pumping out two a year pretty consistently. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. How how did you feel about Meryl in this role? Totally respectable and fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so short. She gives a speech. They help her escape the end. Yeah. I mean, it's a great speech. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting though, because so so you put yourself in Kelly Mulligan's shoes because she's the character you're following through this movie. And she goes, she goes to hear Emmeline Pink her speak. And I I found it my first instinct listening to the speech was you are asking these women on the ground to be to to risk their their personal security, their safety, you're asking them to risk everything, their jobs, their homes, everything to go fight this good fight. And you're in hiding. Yeah. That was, that was my first instinct. And so I found myself disliking her character. I was like, that's great. I'm glad that you can get up there and give the speech, but these ladies are getting tossed in jail and force fed and you're hiding and they helped you hide. Right. And that's essentially what Brian Gleason says to her. He says, listen, you're fodder. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. I mean, you end up fighting the good fight anyway, but, but still, that was like my first, I was like, oh, I'm not sure how. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I guess I hadn't considered that viewpoint about the character. That was the first thing I thought. Like I was, I was with her. I really was with her they kind of set you up for it, right? I think they tell you that she's in hiding, she's coming out. So I kind of was like, okay. And then she gives this speech and then they helped her escape and she's like, keep fighting. And I'm like, (laughs) 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 I just threw the bird for those of you (laughs) who are listening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where would you rank, not not your list list, we'll get to that in a little bit, but in terms of... um, like her other Meryl's other movies where she's basically had one scene. So think like Little Women, Mary Poppins Returns, The Homesman, Manhattan, uh, Julia. Where does this rank in that like just kind of like ballpark and the it towards the top and yeah. then go through the list again. We've got Homesman, Little Women, Julia. Uh, Julia, Manhattan, uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Are there others? There's probably others. Those are just the ones I'm thinking about the top of my head. Uh, I'd probably put this in the middle. Uh, I definitely put it over over the homesmen. That's so surprise. Yeah, I I probably put it over Mary Poppins Returns as well. Okay. I love her in Manhattan. She brings me joy in Manhattan. Um, I even love her scene in Julia, and I of course love Little Women. So I'm going to stick it between those two groupings. Nice. Yeah. How about you? I think I would put it. Out of, out of those, I think I would put it second behind Little Women, actually. Oh, I can see that. I'm just not quite as, uh, I mean, I thought she was great in Manhattan and Julia and even the Homesman, like my, uh, but I don't have quite the, uh, you know, affection for those performances. This one, I don't know, it felt like she was more integral to the plot, I suppose, than those other ones. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it does require her to be utterly compelling. Right. right. I mean, you have to convince the audience, the viewing audience, that that she is in fact convincing these women to fight the good fight. And of course she does that beautifully because she's now straight. Well, and the thing that I found, I guess this is again, one of those things that unless you happen to watch the behind the scenes stuff, you wouldn't know. And so maybe it doesn't count as much, but you know, they, they just all talked about how excited they were to, to kind of land her for this very pivotal, important scene. They said, like, we just knew with this script that we needed an icon to play this icon that like it needed that gravitas. And, yeah. you know, like, if they'd been able to get somebody who was great, but you know, not on the same level, it really wouldn't have been the same thing. And so they were all so excited that she was able to be a part of it. And you know, when they cut to Meryl, she was like, oh, I was honored to be asked, you know, like says all of the very like, you know. Of course. Uh, you know, very th things that you say, but I imagine that, yeah, it probably is an honor for, to portray this. And why wouldn't she want to fly to London for a day and do this? Yeah. Why she? Oh yeah. It'd be amazing. Yeah. 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 No surprise. No, and yeah, she I said, see the parallel and it works really well. Yeah. She said that she had a lot of fun with Helena Bonham Carter in particular, said they just laughed the entire time and just had so much fun, which um, Carrie Mulligan kind of credited Helena Bottom Carter for that as well, said that, you know, this was a super serious film. And so like it kind of necessitated having a somewhat light set. And Helena Bottom Carter was just the best person to like kind of disrupt everything. She said that she's just like that on set where she's one of those people who disrupts a lot of takes because, you know, she'll just start laughing or like say something to you to try to throw you off and like just keep it light and fun. So, nice. you know. That's, that is important in a project like this. Oh yeah, I, I if, can only imagine. Excuse if me. it's all bleak all the time, that's not fun. It just kind of drags the production down. So even though you're making a very serious movie and honoring it and taking it seriously, of course, you have to have, have those moments where you're enjoying what you do to at least to a better product for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This this like like this movie totally works. Yeah. I could have yeah, I could have used more again. Um it made me really angry. <laughs> but that I mean it was supposed to. It was absolutely supposed to. This this topic in particular just from my own experiences just really gets me on a visceral level. I really really struggle. Right. Um, so I, I basically cried through 50% of the movie and they were not tears of sadness. <laughs> they were just right. tears of sheer, sheer rage. Uh, Do you have a favorite Meryl scene in this? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the, Do you this, have a favorite scene in the film though? I would say, I, I mean, you know, as a, as a Meryl, you know, <laughs> as somebody who co-hosts a podcast on Meryl, I would say her, 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 her scene. Uh, but there are, I don't know, Carrie Mulligan is just so good in the whole thing. Um, the scene where Ben Wishaw gives their son to the couple. That is kind of what I was thinking too. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty darn good. I, the the funny, two of them are so compelling. It's brutal. Yeah, it's funny because earlier I was going to say, uh, without, be, before you reminded me of this scene, although that, that is where my mind went when we started talking about this too, was that scene. I think it is kind of the most potent and powerful scene in, in the movie. Um, but it was funny because in my mind, I was like, you know, this is a movie that like, if it just gave Carrie Mulligan like one really great scene, it might have yeah. been enough 
push her in. But that is that scene. You know yeah. what I mean? It is that great scene. That would have been used for awards stuff and should have been, you know. I guess I don't remember. Let's see, what year was this? 2015. Yeah. This movie feels older than that. I feel like Does maybe it? because a century has passed since 2019. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And one of the other things is, you know, I don't know if you, I'm sure you noticed this because the, the end credits, what they, what they do right before, in between the end of the film and um, the, the actual credits is they list when in different countries, women got the right to vote. And it went as late as 2015. That was the year that in Saudi Arabia. And I think that was just a promise. Right. Yeah. And yeah. exactly. That's, that's the thing where it's like, are there other countries since then? You know, I'm are surprised. there- I think Switzerland was the 70s. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. But you know, I mean, uh, you know, we've been able to vote since 1920, but good Lord. I mean, we couldn't even have credit cards in our own name until the 70s. Right. So we, we haven't been, we haven't, we haven't been rocking equal rights for a while. Right, right. Um, the, the women nominated that year in the best actress category, Brie Larson won for Room, which that was one of those performances everybody knew who was going to win. Uh, the other nominees were Kate Blanchett for Carol. I love that performance. Jennifer Lawrence for Joy, Charlotte Rampling for 45 Years, and Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn. I don't know. Do you think she edges, she should have edged any, Carrie Mulligan should have edged any of those out? Who won that year? Brie Larson for Room. Oh yeah. I don't think so. Saoirse Ryan's wonderful in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I feel like, is obviously amazing. Yeah, I feel like Maybe that. Joy. Was, I was just going to say, you know, with Joy, I, I do think she's really good in it. That was the year I remember people starting to do the, okay, wait, is Jennifer Lawrence the new Meryl Streep? Is she just going to be nominated every year no matter what? Because Joy was definitely less, uh, less well-received overall than like the yeah. things been nominated for before i think it was a movie that everybody was like yeah she's good in it but it's not a great movie and um so i remember there being a little bit of pushback on that nomination and that sort of like okay let's not do this again kind of thing yeah so maybe maybe that although i think joy probably i don't know she was jennifer lawrence especially at the time still but you know especially at the time was like such such a big deal such yeah. a big deal. and i don't know it, it was just so it, it was a movie that was really centered entirely around that character and this one sort of is but there are other you know like it's a movie filled with great female performances you know what i mean it doesn't feel entirely ensemble but it feels a hell of a lot more ensemble than joy does that felt yeah. like a singular performance you know right yeah i see your point well, and two, Carrie Mulligan's performance is quite subtle. Yeah. And the Academy doesn't really trade in subtle <laughs> at right. all. Right. They like things flashy. So that may be a big part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, anything else you want to say about this movie? No, I will say, I can't remember if I talked about it on here or not, but as sort of a sister movie to this, if you've watched Suffragette and you have not seen this other film, I recommend you go see it. Go to Amazon Prime and watch What the Constitution Means to Me. It was filmed mm-hmm. on Broadway. It's magical. It is so moving. 
It is incredibly powerful and everybody needs to watch it. I was just thinking about that movie yesterday, not, not in regards to Suffragette, uh, but in regards to what is happening right now and thinking about that. Yeah. Um, some of the other things that we normally talk about, the budget for this movie was estimated to be at about 14 million and it made uh, a little over 30 million. So it did fairly, you know, doubled its budget for sure. Uh, it was it was successful. Not every movie is gonna make a hundred million dollars, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a modest success. Another important thing is, uh, or another thing that we kind of generally talk about is the IMDb ratings. This is currently and has been for a while now at a 6.9, which uh, ties it. That's the same spot that Devil Wears Prada, House of the Spirits, and A Cry <laughs> in the Dark are at. That House of the Spirits just is an outlier because the rest of these films really are great. We need to revisit House of the Spirits. Like, I don't understand what's happening there. <laughs> this is a lot. Is it, what, what's going on? <laughs> I, I mean, it's probably just one of those things that if you don't think too hard about House of the Spirits, you know, you've got this incredible cast. And, you know, if you're not bothered by the whitewashing thing, or maybe don't notice the whitewashing thing. It feels epic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I guess. An epic we, with suffering with big movie stars. Yeah. I mean, I think we really kind of shredded that movie for, for the reasons that you should shred that movie. But um, I think... In terms of performances, I don't think anybody's bad in that movie. It's just they should have cast authentic, you know, it, like yeah. it should have just been different than it was. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, that's Suffragette. Cool. All right, well, let's move on to our other segments. Uh, can we start with Six Degrees so that I can try to really quickly think of a movie I wish Meryl had been in? Sure. <laughs> so our person was Jamie Dornan. Do you have a connection to him by chance? I do. The, mo the most recently released Wild Mountain Time with Christopher Walken and the Deer Hunter. Oh, yeah. And yeah. also Emily Blunt in, in several projects. Yeah. Mary Poppins and uh, Into the Woods. Yeah. Was there a third? Is there a third with Emily Blunt? Uh, Devil Wears Prada. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, she's um, got... You know, Speaking of, just to do a little side tangent on Wild Mountain Time again, this movie is rocking 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. Do not believe it. Everybody go watch this movie. It's where, so cute. Where is it? Where can we watch this movie? Do you have to? Uh, you can rent demand? it on iTunes, Amazon. I'm sure it's on like Google. You have to rent it still though. It's not okay. streaming for free. Sure. Um, but I love it so. I've, wa I've watched it since we've last spoken again. I've watched it like five times. I love it. You've watched that movie five times? Yes, I watched it five times. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. And I must be insane. Like I would really, Zach, I would really love for you to watch it to tell me why I'm wrong. Oh, you, <laughs> by you saying you've watched it five times, that's a guarantee that I will watch it. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I would have watched it before. <laughs> But now I I'm just curious. love it. I like unabashedly love it. And I'm like, it's not perfect. And I don't care. It's perfect to me. Wow. <laughs> it must be. I mean, okay. Yeah. No judgment. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are people listening who are like, I saw that movie and she's fucking nuts. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I am surprised. I mean, some of my favorite movies are ones that have 
not are not well received. I think that probably the movie I've watched more than any other movie in my entire life is The Burbs, starring Tom Hanks. I you you put five hundred Tom Hanks super fans in a room and ask them what their favorite Tom Hanks movie is. I don't think one of them says The Burbs. That's I don't think so good. It's so good. I love this movie. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. We, we watch these movies that we know are, it doesn't, a movie doesn't have to be fantastic for you to absolutely love the crap out of it. It's true. This, this is what this movie is for me. I will, as soon as I can buy it, I will buy it and I will watch it a dozen more times. And there are those movies too, where like, actually one of the things that you kind of love about it is that it's flawed in some way, you know? Yeah. It just has so much heart. It has so much heart. And it is like, I think it just taps my really quirky sense of humor Mm -hmm. in a way that maybe it doesn't other people, but I just like every line is funny. Every single line of dialogue. Well, Emily Blunt, if you are listening. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Ignore every other review and listen to this one. Holy cow. Wow. Right. Yeah. Still love it. Okay. Well, let me connect. It was at your... I assume that that connection to Jamie Dornan. I um I had to really go for it with this one, Jamie yeah. Dornan. I because I haven't seen that much with him. I did, I have seen one of, and I don't even remember which one, and I don't remember why. But I did watch one of the Fifty Gray Fifty Shades movies. I've seen all three. I don't know. Yeah. I think I think I saw the middle one. I don't think it was the first, and I know it wasn't the third. Uh, I'm not because, positive I saw the entirety of the last one. Yeah, I'm not positive. But I well, there is a character actor in at least two of the three named Bruce Altman, who is just one of those guys who's been in a lot of stuff. He happens to have been in It's Complicated with Meryl, but he's just one of those guys who's probably like his IMDb thing is probably over 100 credits. You know, he's just in a lot of stuff. And um, so that was my connection. I can't believe I didn't think of Wild Mountain Time. That was such low hanging fruit. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> What else has Jamie Dornan been in? Oh, well, he was in The Fall. I don't Right, which actually that is something that um, I've been meaning to watch for the longest time. It's really good. It, you know, it, um, the first two seasons, if they didn't come out before, they were definitely filmed before he did Fifty Shades of Grey and he had not hit it big before. Right. You know, he was not in everybody's consciousness. And so- I mean, he plays a serial killer. He's excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's very, very, very entertaining. He was in a movie that I liked very much that not a lot of people saw called A Private War a couple of years ago with Rosamund Pike. Um, oh. Really, yeah. really good film. Really great performance from Rosamund Pike. Um, I know that was one that was another of those like outlier uh, you know, Oscar nomination kind of performances where if more people had seen it, it probably would have been nominated because it was so, it was just, it's, it's a true story of this incredible, incredible reporter. Um, it's like a war correspondent and just insane things that she went through. So I remember he was in that. I don't remember, I guess, what else he's been in, but. He did, um, I think he did a film for Netflix called The Siege of Jadotville. Mm-hmm. Um, which is quite good. It's about an Irish, I don't know if it's a platoon or what, excuse my military speak, but they're they're in an, out, an outpost and get surrounded. Cool. Well, oh, you know what? I didn't ask you, well, here, why don't we do our, um, I forgot to ask you about your list. 
but let's do our other segment and then end with the list maybe. That's fine. I haven't ranked that. I haven't ranked okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, here, I guess as long as we're talking about it, let's do it. I did rank it. I just went through the uh, thing kind of quickly. I put it for her performance. I put it at 38 out of okay. 40. Uh, again, it's just the small scene thing. It has nothing to do with it not being a great performance. And again, it is above basically all the one scene performances. It's above Julia Manhattan, Holmesman, House of the Spirits, which is not a one scene performance and Mary Poppins Returns, it's right above those five. Um, and then right above it is She Devil, Before and After, Still of the Night, and upwards. Um, it is a little bit higher for me in the ranking of the films. Overall, I have it at 26 out of 43, which is basically middle of the road. Um, it's above kind of the ones that it's right above are Falling in Love, Ironweed, and Ricky and the Flash. Um, and it's right below Death Becomes or Music of the Heart, a Manchurian Candidate. I don't know, I may adjust that at some point, uh, but that feels about right for now for me. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I have not, have not looked at my rankings. I think performance wise, I probably have it at, 36 between Manhattan and before and after. Okay. So under that, I have before and after still of the night, Julia and the homesman. Let's see. Film wise. I don't know. That's tough. It's going to be higher ranked. I'll have to contemplate that one. All right. And then our last segment is movies. We wish Meryl had been in. Did you think of any alien? I was going to say, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, again, I say this every time I sound like a broken record. No, no desire to replace the epic Sigourney Weaver in anything. Right. Um, right. But, but yeah, Meryl would have been great in it too. I think, I think I used that example at some point too, because I watched yeah. it with last year. It's just, it's such an iconic role, you know, that how could you not want her to have her stab yeah. at it? But yeah, for sure. It is. It is what puts Sigourney Weaver on the map. And they are, you know, they were classmates. And, you know, in that interview in A Cry in the Dark, they must have like a funny friendship because <laughs> Meryl just, you know, said that thing about, oh, never believe Sigourney Weaver's stories, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So um, I thought of one and now it has left my mind. Oh, no, I, I know what it is. Um, there's a movie Lily Tomlin did a couple of years ago called Grandma. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not. It's uh, it's a really interesting tiny little film with Julia Garner, who uh, I think just beat Meryl for that Emmy, didn't she? I think she won again for uh, Ozark. But it was before Ozark. It was, uh, I think it might've been one of Julia Garner's first things. She had been in something else and then this. And uh, it's Julia Garner plays this young girl a teenage girl who gets pregnant and basically turns to her grandma played by lily tomlin to kind of uh, make everything okay uh yeah. her. i don't remember it all that well i just remember it's a great role for lily tomlin and so you know connection connection there for sure yeah for sure if you I haven't seen that. it yeah it's good yeah yeah cool check it out so Cool. Well, that was quick and easy. Um, I guess yeah. we didn't talk about this in advance, but I think probably the next film that will be coming out to everybody, if plans continue, is A Prairie Home Companion, and we're going to have a special guest for that one. Otherwise, it could be anything, because we haven't talked about what we're going to do next. I know, right? <laughs> so who knows? But something will be we coming. Cool. It'll be a surprise. It'll be a surprise, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye, everybody.
That's all.